Our reading continues this morning from Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 31. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus, and for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen a vision. A man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And he arose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who call upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gate day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket." And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. 
But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Greek-speaking Jews, known as Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the reverence of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it grew in numbers. Let us pray. Spirit of the living God, reveal your word to us this day that we might have life in your name. Amen. Every human life tells a story marked by time and place and connections, shaped by the depths of both loneliness and community, failures and successes, as we each seek to live our days the best we know how. Still, we make many mistakes by our words and by our actions. We hurt one another, we hurt ourselves, and at times with good intentions, and at times despite the very best of our ability, we transgress the boundaries of the promises that we have made to one another. Each of us lives within a unique set of circumstances and challenges and opportunities, each intersecting both our freedom and our decisions, limitations and relationships, griefs and joys, dreams and disappointments, bodily aches, and unanticipated blessings. And at the center of each of our stories is also a loving and faithful God, a God who freely chooses to be present and to participate with us in the lives that we live, from all the many places that we have come from right to this very moment and into those places where we are not yet and are headed. In the life death and resurrection of Jesus, it has been revealed. And the truth of the gospel is this, that we are not alone. And our God will never leave us to ourselves. It is this God, our God, who invites us to become a part of God's own unique story of creation and redemption, bridging time and eternity to bring all things together. Thus, we are not abandoned to live life by our own energies and strength, nor are we cast away by our choices and their consequences, nor are we pushed aside because of our arrogance and our failures. In all these things, we are set free, redeemed by a God who is greater, given to experience the forgiveness of the one who in Christ has shown us the way 
such that the power of God's grace might flow through us to others and back again in the mutual sharing of our life together. It is a characteristic not only of the living God, but also of God's living church, the followers of Jesus, that we who experience the love of God would learn to live by that same love. And Jesus, who does not place limits upon the mercy and kindness of the divine, calls for us to do the same. Thus, like Jesus, we too often pray, saying, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And the practice of forgiveness is hard. And knowing this, we remember that it is also a gift. Indeed, forgiveness is a manifestation of God's living spirit and presence among us, working in us, moving through us, a sign that God's story continues and that we, by grace, are a part of that story, the story of God's saving future as it is unfolding before us even now. The book of Acts tells the stories of the early Christian community, of healing and compassion, of sharing and the expression of generosity through redistribution. So also the book of Acts chronicles many of the challenges of genuine listening and openness to change amid the joys and struggles of human relationships. The difficulty of discerning our way together when there is disagreement in regards to the meaning of salvation and righteousness, of justice and grace, and the relationship of covenant promises, past and present, when seeking to understand God's vision and mission for God's people and for God's church. Today's reading from Acts chapter 9 tells the story of Saul's encounter with the risen Jesus and the church's own struggle to receive and to accept him even after he had come to believe. A man of education and repute, Saul, later known as the Apostle Paul, had long since established himself as an adversary of the church. At the end of Acts chapter 7, Luke famously records Saul's presence and approval at the stoning of Stephen an innocent man and disciple who was condemned by an angry mob. And even after Stephen's death, today's reading begins with Saul pursuing the arrest of women and men who embraced Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ of God. We're never really given an explanation for Saul's active persecution of the church. And Paul himself does not provide one in all of his many letters. We do know, however, that not all members of the early Jewish community persecuted the church. In fact, before the end of the first century, early Christians and Jews very often coexisted within the very same communities. After all, the claim of the gospel is that Jesus is the Messiah of Israel, fulfilling the promises of the Lord to God's own people. The Jewish Jesus... And his Jewish followers lived alongside, often visited, befriended, and even actively participated in local synagogue meetings and in various temple practices out of which the church emerged. Rather than seeking to understand why Saul persecuted the church, perhaps we might choose to ask instead, what lies beneath the divisions in our own time? And what is it that makes us afraid today? All throughout today's reading, 
we're given a glimpse of the disciples' fear of Saul following his vision of Jesus on the way to Damascus. As Ananias tells the Lord in verse 13, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your people. This is all that Ananias knows about Saul, and for this reason, he is afraid of him. Notice, though, despite his own reluctance, it is Ananias himself who speaks the truth of grace and the peace of the risen Jesus when he looks into the face of Saul and calls him his brother. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus has sent me so that you might see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. A bit later, the disciples in Damascus also encounter Saul for themselves, saying, Is not this the man who has made havoc in Jerusalem? And once again, in spite of their fear, it was those very disciples in Damascus who rescued Saul from the hands of those who sought to destroy him. And during a third encounter with the disciples in Jerusalem, the book of Acts records that they were all afraid of Saul, for they did not believe that he was really a disciple. Even so, when Saul himself was threatened, it, again, it was the disciples who intervened to protect Saul, ensuring that he would not become a victim of the violence that they themselves had endured. What is the meaning of this story? What good news, what truth of God is being revealed? Several things. First, this story reveals the disciples' willingness to trust, if not Saul, than God. And as it turns out, it is their willingness to trust the promise of Jesus and the Holy Spirit that makes all the difference. Let us consider that Saul's own experience of grace is informed not only by his vision of Jesus who calls him by name, but also by his encounter with the followers of Jesus who refuse to be guided by and instead take risks themselves to ensure his protection keeping him safe and courageously demonstrating the kindness and mercy that Jesus not only invites, but also graciously enables each of us to extend to one another. The story reminds us that in the midst of the trials of relationships, we must always leave room for Christ to bring about restoration and renewal, to bring about a change of heart and of life, to bring about the newness of reconciliation, of forgiveness and hope in God's way and in God's own time, all the while considering the possibility that it is we who are being transformed. All because we have come to experience and to trust that God is greater and can do more with us and through us than we could have ever accomplished on our own. Such is the truth of God's reconciling love and the peace of God with which Saul and the disciples came to live, the kind of peace that is found within the heart of those who are unafraid to let love grow. And we would be mistaken if we should come to believe that the story within today's reading and that of our own stories are merely the stories of human beings trying to make it their own way. No, intertwined and entangled together amid the stories of these ordinary people is the story of what God is up to and is doing in and through the world, in and through the church, in and through this community, in and through each of us. 
reading through the scriptures, it is difficult to distinguish God's own living presence amid the other human characters. We contend that this is because the Holy Spirit of God really has been poured out upon the earth. It touches everything. It is redeeming the world. And yet, it is the meaning and practice of discernment that we should seek to locate and to touch the life and intentions of the Spirit amid all of our human desires and ways of seeing one another through the lens of our caricatures and stereotypes. As we together take the time to listen and to attune ourselves to the rhythms and the movements of God's will and way and spirit and understanding, it is then that we discover within ourselves a change in our priorities, a kind of transformation, a revaluation of our values. As we learn what really matters, overcoming all that seeks to separate us and for the sake of the God whose life and promises bring in everlasting peace and togetherness that puts an end to our fears, to our anger, to our indifference, and to our complacency. No longer captivated by achievement and the pursuit of celebrity, we uncover the kindness of strangers no longer persuaded by forecasts of power and influence and success, we learn the compassion of Jesus among the least of these. No longer bound by the pain of old wounds and regrets, we are freed to extend grace even when there is mistrust. No longer afraid of our enemies due to our misgivings and prejudices, we open ourselves again to the wideness of God's mercy and love. And by trading in of our own desires for the discernment of God's own, we, like Saul and like the disciples, begin to receive Jesus' words as a daily invitation when he said, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. There is no questioning that Jerusalem and Judea, Galilee and Samaria are not the centers of power in the ancient world. And yet by grace, in today's reading, they are the centers of God's activity and of the Spirit's life within the church. By closely attending to the scriptures today, we learn that following Saul's inclusion among believers, the church was built up. It was made stronger. It was encouraged. And let us agree that they were built up, not because they sought revenge and retribution and control, but because they refused to be dominated by their fear. They refused to be held captive by unforgiveness. They refused to be defeated by what they knew about Saul's reputation and were instead committed above all else to living into the truth of Christ's promise that God's spirit would be poured out among them to lead and to guide their way so far beyond what they themselves could ask or could imagine. What would it mean for you today and for us together to take a step 
in the direction of God's future. In our families, in our community, in our fellowship with one another, in our church, in our world. And what is holding us back that God desires to overcome by our willingness to lean into the ways of Christ's presence among us? What would it mean for us to grow in faith and in trust that in the very places where our hearts are broken, the Spirit of Jesus is alive and is with us, hearing our prayers and redeeming our lives? May it be that when God calls out to us, frightened though we be, unsettled though we are, uncertain though we feel about our futures, mistrusting though we have been toward one another, may we, like Ananias, have the courage and the reverence to answer and to say, here I am, Lord. Here I am. Lord, here I am, Lord. Unsuspecting of where our faith may take us, may we remember that our help is not in ourselves. Our help is in the name of the Lord, maker of heaven and earth, who will not suffer your foot to stumble, for the Lord who watches over you will not sleep. Behold, the Lord who keeps watch over Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. It is the Lord who watches over you. It is the Lord who is your shade at your right hand, so that the sun shall not strike you by day, neither the moon by night. It is the Lord who shall keep you from all evil. It is the Lord who shall keep your life. It is the Lord who shall keep watch over your going out and your coming in from this time on and forevermore. Amen.